My name is Scott Nye, and this is Talking Radical Radio. Hello and welcome to Talking Radical Radio, where we bring you grassroots voices from across Canada. We give you the chance to hear many different people who are facing many different struggles talk about what they're doing, how they're doing it, and why they're doing it, in the belief that such listening is a crucial step in strengthening all of our efforts to change the world. On this week's show, I'll be speaking with Max from Bricks and Glitter. Bricks and Glitter is a collective response to a lack in the present and an insurgent act towards what could be. Its mission statement begins, quote, We are a trouble of queers who believe in creativity and collectivity in imagining together a world worth living in. Intersectional by default and critical by necessity, we are trying to create a space for all of us to world-build together and to practice the future in the now. Bricks and Glitter is a community arts festival celebrating two-spirit, trans, and queer talent, ingenuity, caring, anger, and abundance, end quote. Max, a member of the festival's core organizing team, says that at least in part, quote, Bricks and Glitter was a direct response to just what wasn't happening, end quote. Even more so a few years ago than today, both Pride and mainstream queer contexts more generally in Toronto were not giving enough space to folks who were pushed in various ways to the margins. Queer people who were black, who were Latinx, who were disabled, who were intersex, who were Asian, who fell at so many other intersections of queerness, had too little space, too few resources, and too little support for their ongoing efforts to thrive, to celebrate, to rage, and to just be. The first year of Bricks and Glitter was 2018. The organizing emerged from a network of queer musicians and artists in Toronto, notably Rosina Kazi of longtime electronic music duo Lal. You can look online to find a Talking Radical radio interview with her about a different project way back in 2013. Bricks and Glitter brought together artists and grassroots queer organizations for a festival spanning multiple events, venues, and genres of music and performance, and it found an enthusiastic and supportive audience. Since then, the festival has grown and sunk deeper roots into the community. Max's role has focused on design, promotion, and social media, but the collective places a strong emphasis on non-hierarchical ways of work, and the labor of making the festival happen is broadly shared. As the event has evolved, the organizers have guided it by using a range of processes to bring larger communities of people together to discuss, to brainstorm, to vision, to dream. This year, as with everything else, COVID has transformed how Bricks and Glitter will be happening. Details haven't been announced yet, but it's scheduled to happen between August 21st and 30th. It will include online performances and events, as well as a range of offline interventions that can happen safely in the context of the pandemic. Bricks and Glitter has always been radically political, demanding a future where the police have been abolished, for instance, and the social world radically transformed is nothing new to the organizers or to the event. And as Max says, quote, it's a very radical thing to even get a group of bodies together in a room that the system doesn't want to be there, end quote. But given the uprising against anti-black racism and police brutality at the heart of the current political moment, they have included as central in this year's festival a broad and multifaceted call to more overt forms of political action. As their now-closed call for proposals for this year's festival put it, quote, from Marsha's brick to the glitter kissing our cheeks, to be queer is to rebel against colonialism and patriarchy, end quote. 
Not only did they ask for participants in this year's festival to dream up exciting possibilities for music, performance, and public art interventions, but they also asked people to come forward with online skill shares and workshops, as well as direct actions. To return to their fiery and lyrical mission statement, it says, quote, We are not just a festival, but a home for many itinerant communities who struggle to find safety in an increasingly hostile world, end quote. And it concludes, quote, We want to learn from each other and hold each other up, allowing our unique voices to populate a sphere of discourse, play, exploration, and possibility. We pose and we posture and we fake it till we make it because practice, practice, practice gets the goods. Let us try and see what the world could become, end quote. I talk with Max about the past, present, and future of Bricks and Glitter. I'm Max. I'm an artist in Toronto, musician, event organizer, photographer. I am a part of Bricks and Glitter, specifically helping out with their visual content and promotional content. And I'm also just part of their core team for visioning and other types of mobilization. Everyone on the Bricks and Glitter team fill like loose roles. So we all just do what makes sense. And Bricks and Glitter is a queer arts organization in Toronto that's trying to hold space for everyone. Before we talk more about Bricks and Glitter, tell me a bit more about yourself, specifically about your trajectory to initially getting involved in arts stuff and to initially getting involved in grassroots political work. Like I said before, I'm also partly musician. And one time I was performing, I performed with Lal, who is Rosina and Nick, who are also really like OG Toronto artists. And after we performed, Rosina had inquired about my queerness. I told them that I was queer and didn't know many spaces. So I got pulled into that community and I got to see a lot of the grassroots stuff. Start with Rosina, because Bricks and Gitter was originally founded. Rosina, Daniel, Brock, Vince, like there's a core team of queer folk who are coming together, just wanting to have a different space than Pride to be able to celebrate and have like what we see as true representation for all queer folk. As I got closer to Rosina and Daniel and all them who were organizing, I saw, I guess, what was a bit of a calling to just do my part the same as everyone else would have their version of that. And when I saw the kind of work Bricks and Glitter was doing, I think, I think Bricks and Glitter is the first organization I've seen where the message, the mission statement is like one of the greatest I've ever seen. It's liberty on a radical platform. Now it's become very relevant and mainstream. It was very, what do you call it, ahead of its time or transcendent of the time. So that was my journey getting into Bricks and Gitter. I saw it as a platform for incredible change. And it very seamlessly came from me as a performer, me as an artist. And yeah, now I'm helping out. And tell me more about the needs that Bricks and Glitter has been a response to. One of the themes this year for the festival is imagination and imagining a radical society. It's become very popular for people to call out things, which is great. It's an amazing, amazing thing to come out of quarantine. And we're all calling on the world to change, defund the police, abolish the police, abolish prison, you know, all these things that seem too radical, but now we're gaining momentum and voice. So there is a call also for the imagination of it. So when Bricks and Glitter is going to make space, the kinds of things we're doing that are necessary as a queer arts organization is to hold space for many different people and propose things that were unseeable in the past. We're trying to brand the festival this year to be a rally 
as well as a festival so that people know when they're coming, we're going to keep pushing the envelope of what change looks like. And this tangibly looks like gathering together organizations who are using their voice to push that message. And also whatever we curate ourselves will fill the niches of whatever hasn't been represented. And that goes for identities as well, holding space for all the different identities of people who are trying to reimagine their living. And tell me more about the founding of Bricks and Glitter. Well, with Law, Rosina and Nick have been fighting for queer equity, liberation, whatever words you want to use. They've been fighting for it since well into the 2000s. They started Unit 2, which was a community art center, which has flourished into a nice safe haven for people. And I know Rosina felt like Pride just wasn't doing it. Pride was not giving space for disabled folk, or I guess accessibility needs is the better way. And like intersex people have already voiced they aren't being seen. Brick and Gooder, like I said, had to fill that void a bit. Like I said, there was a calling. I don't know how to quantify it too much. There was just a calling to make space which I feel like marginalized folk do feel that a lot when they're trying to come up as an artist, wanting to find a place for them to explore their craft or like just have a network or a community around them. Forming Bricks and Gitter was a direct response to just what wasn't happening. It wasn't happening. Two years ago, there was no space for Latinx people. Pride was doing stuff, but it's a stage tucked away into the corner of Church Street. And Pride's doing a lot better now. Pride's really owning up to their shit. But Bricks and Glitter started as a response to that. There's a very inadequate culture around celebrating all kinds of queer identity. Bricks and Glitter came out of that. And while there were lots of facets to it, as you say, my understanding is that there was specifically a lack of space for various queer of color communities within Pride. Is that fair to say? Yeah, for sure, for sure. And you have to remember, it's not like there weren't these spaces. Like Blockorama. Uh, Blockorama is a long-standing black, queer, and trans event within the context of Pride in Toronto. Had space, but they were not funded well. Their stage, I remember at the last year, Blockorama was happening, I think, the same time as Nuho Queen, which was a East Asian celebration or Pan-Asian celebration. And that was happening, like, nowhere close to Blockorama. They're happening at the same time. So people had to choose, sort of, and both of them were very specific cultural events. So stuff like that, so it just hits the mark a bit, and we really do need spaces for everyone to celebrate themselves. So yeah, it came out of that discrepancy. What did the first year's Bricks and Glitter Festival look like? Oh, wow. What was the first year like? We had an opening and a closing festival. We called in a whole bunch of artists. A lot of organizations were involved. We did a whole outdoor festival, which was amazing. I met a lot of people. It was an incredible moment of mobilization for people who I think had been unseen, unheard, or were being seen and heard, but they did yearn for that, I guess, like a grassroots vibe or just something like down to earth. Down to earth might be a good way to put it because it's not so tied to corporate. It's not so tied to having large crowds. There were lots of intimate spaces too where people could come. You just had a variety that wasn't present before. and I think that really shone through. What was the work of making that initial event happen like? A lot of admin. It was a really cool experience for a bunch of people to come together who were all wanting the same thing or feeling the same way. We all felt that pride was lacking for us and we weren't seeing ourselves in it. Although there was space for it, we wanted them to do better, but we just didn't like that. There was just this grand hierarchy of queer celebration and we wanted to create a bit more of an open umbrella platform. And we did see it play out that way too. Coming together, we all just had meetings, we delegated, 
Rosina and Daniel and Unit 2 and all of them, they're very non-hierarchical. So it was a very, whoever comes has a say, whoever comes has a voice. We'll have community visioning meetings. We'll make sure that even though it's us organizing, we're always reflecting the needs of people around us. A lot of the foundation of that work ethic was formed in the first year. And I do think it plays out very similarly when you look at the kind of performances we held, the kind of spaces we held. We just wanted everyone to have their platform to say what they needed to say, perform what they needed to perform. What was the community response like that first year? Incredible. Incredible. I think I saw Bricks and Glitter become a household name for queer folk, which is really, really cool because that means they have access to the information. I saw people recognize what the intention was. It was very straightforward and clear, and it set up a large stage for us to do more the next year and the year after, which is this year now. The first year was transformative. A lot of avenues were open because of the work put into it. How has the project grown and evolved since then? More engagement. Because of COVID in the third year, we are repositioning what the festival is. And it is learning. It's always learning. Being radical is a ever-changing concept. And a lot of what needs to happen is transmitted year by year, given the times and whatnot. Give listeners a bit more of a sense of the performers and performances that have been part of Bricks and Glitter in the past, and maybe highlight one or two that have been particularly important to you. Yeah, um, Maggie's Sex Party has been with us for a while, Grind Her, Kiki Ballroom has been doing stuff, we've had Hot Damn is a Queer Slam, Rude Collective has passed through, so many, or oh, I could keep going, I keep going. The easiest way to put it is, Really, we've been trying to call in all like the major queer organizations who are holding it down for their people. That's a long, long list. We are attentive to it as well, because sometimes we don't have a group for everyone who needs to be represented. But the mindfulness towards that is either us making space ourselves or continuing to search till we find it. People involved generally, it's a diverse and compassionate group of people. They all are doing great work. Everyone who's done something for Bricks and Glitter has been promoting like great things for progress and radicalism. One of the shows I was involved with was Sanctuary. It was like a queer neo-soul, soul music night. And I thought that was really beautiful to hold space for queer people doing those genres. It's very uncommon. You just got to hear these performers. Arflex was one of the performers. I don't really get to hear Arflex do a lot of really stripped down sets because a lot of their music is dance, amazing stuff. And that was really special for me. That was special, I think, for a lot of people who just wanted to hear queer people express that. A T-Base to Raw, I think a pan-Asian drumming group would be the right description. Raw, Raging Asian Women, they did a drum performance at T-Base. And I remember seeing that and just acknowledging how revolutionary it is. Everyone to be gathering together doing this. The first year, Hania Chang, who is also co-founder of T-Base, ran a fashion show to raise money. And oh man, there's just a lot of people having the means and the capacity now under the umbrella of Bricks and Glitter to flesh out their advocacy, flesh out their artistic expression. And the manifestation, like in those examples, is, I don't know, it's just special. You just don't, you see it, but to see it all come together at once like that with a unifying concept and vision. Yeah, it's all a collective special moment for sure. How have you had to change things up this year because of COVID? Moving online. (laughs) That was pretty trippy. Um, And we're reimagining ways to make art accessible. 
make art accessible using digital platforms, using physical platforms, but ones maybe that aren't so restricted by a time. Installation is a really cool way to promote art. Private functions are very, very specific type of vibe, and you have to use safety protocols really well so that everyone can come and go with ease. It's weird. It has nothing to do with our mission statement, but COVID did change a lot of how we need to express what we need to express right now. And tell me more about the installations you mentioned and that kind of artistic use of physical space by Bricks and Glitter. We are currently in the brainstorming and visioning of that. So what I will say is we just finished our visioning week and we are preparing for a festival, which we're going to announce all that stuff soon. We are very attentive right now to the feedback we've received, because that's the most important thing. Before we establish concrete ideas of everything, we had a whole visioning week. There was digital mind mapping. There was two community visioning live sessions. There was a phone mailbox people could have dropped messages into all week. We're going through all of that information and content right now and figuring out the best way to do all these things where everyone can still feel heard. So that's TBA, but we're currently sifting through information. What's your role in making the festival happen? Like I said, I'm in charge of the visual content and the design work, so I'm getting together the photo shoots. I've been posting all of the social media content. I'm preparing the new promotional content for the rally and festival. And I'm part of the core team too. So I've been in the visioning meetings. I've been in meetings where we all collectively talk about what's best. I have a lot of experience myself in the Toronto art scene in whatever cultures and networks I've passed through. So I reference a lot of my experience around other queer people and POC people who have been stating their livelihoods and expressing their need for change. So I bring that to the table. And everyone has their own version of that. When we all come together, like when I talk about my role in the core team, it's very relative to everyone else's role in the core team where we bring our experience, mine being specifically as a performer, as an active artist, and we all decide what is best for everyone who is queer or who is marginalized, I should say. Everyone is a bit of like a tricky term, but my voice is one of many that are important because we use our lives, our networks, our communities as reference for how we need to shape the festival. My role in Bricks and Glitter is very, I've experienced this. We need these communities to have a voice and a space. So this is what I think needs to happen. And everyone else shares a similar position. So obviously it's a bit different this year with COVID. But how challenging has it been in earlier years to find venues to do all of this that feel consistent with the spirit that Bricks and Glitter wants to bring? It's tricky navigating venues because there's so much racism and queerphobia that is just tucked underneath the surface of all of these different places. And you hear about it last minute because, you know, finally it's being brought to light. So that's just a constant thing. But I will say that Bricks and Glitter started through Rosina Daniel Brockvince, who Fortunately, we're already working together through Unit 2. So there was already a network of support for Bricks and Glitter to find authentic spaces because our mission statement is very pure, I believe. And so when we expressed our intentions, they were received really well. We have done things at Lula Lounge. We do things at Garrison. We've like done things at Unit 2. We've done things at Gladstone. And again, there might be news about all these places, but we do it as we go. We've been very fortunate to be offered venue and spaces since the beginning. It's a very fluid thing to go back, to find new ones. And the community response has been amazing. Shout out the community. 
And based on your own experience as a performer over the years, is it your sense that there has been a decline in the availability of suitable venues in Toronto due to gentrification? Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, I guess my other answer made it seem like it was rosy and we have everything. No, it's just queer people are just really well connected in what spaces can actually have them. <laughs> Since you need to know if you want to be able to, I guess, thrive. This venue's closing down all the time. It's heinous. They need to lower that rent. That's the tea. That's all I'll say about that. Places are being gentrified and the city needs to regulate that rent so that I don't have to repeat why venues are closing down. It's a tale as old as time. It costs too much money. There's no cap. There's no city intervention in ways that are meaningful in regards to that. I have seen venues, 187, the Moeg, there's venues that are closing down right now that it's such a shame because they have harbored and housed so much artistic growth and held so much space for marginalized folk. It is such a shame. We need to be regulating the ways people can afford space in Toronto a lot better so that we don't have to worry about that problem no more. We've talked about the impact of COVID on the festival, but what has the impact been of the current uprising against police brutality and anti-Black racism? There are some cultural shifts, such as us taking accountability for our friends and family and making even more space for people and making space for, I don't know, visionaries and Black leaders to have platforms. I will say that Brixton has been pretty radical from the beginning because we just knew what was up. Now we're gaining more tools to directly combat it and bridge the intention to action. And when it started, yeah, we were like, abolish the police, defund the police. These are things that the mainstream, other people didn't know about. So it was a weirder thing to navigate back then. But in terms of dismantling this system, I mean, the government is racist, anti-Indigenous. I can go on. It's been needing to be dismantled. And I think one of the most interesting things is that the police are being put under the spotlight. They're being scrutinized deservingly for all of the injustices that they've perpetuated over the decades. And the funniest thing is queer spaces from time, from like a few years ago when I was getting into the queer scene, they all had their own policies regarding how to watch over their own communities. The police were never called. It was a note to never call the police because it was unsafe. So that's a rhetoric that's always been around. Now we are gaining the tools and the mainstream acknowledgement to combat them directly. And even in self-reflection, we're all realizing how we can push further. So those things have impacted in those ways. How does Bricks and Glitter fill that perennial grassroots need to find enough money to do the things that you want to do? We have been very fortunate to have a great team. We have a grant writing team. We've received funding this year from Toronto Arts Council. So shout out Toronto Arts Council. We have received funding from Ontario Arts Council in the past. We have fundraisers and donation dinners. We had a fundraising dinner last year that was amazingly successful. An incredible meal with entertainment. We try and search every revenue option that is available in Ontario for us right now. We've had amazing success too. And again, we've had people we can call on for support in the community. So it has been a very gratifying process, acquiring funds so that we can operate and support. And I know that a lot of festival spaces have increasingly been paying attention in recent years to what it means to be safer, particularly in terms of things like harm reduction and gender-based violence. How does Bricks and Glitter do that work? We have a care team. This came about last year. We started a care team because you can't make a safe space. It can only be a safer space. The system doesn't allow for a safe space right now, which we've all been learning. 
And yeah, we have a care team, which is sort of a separate entity. It started as a part of Bricks and Glitter and it became so big and so much work to be done on that end that they sort of form a separate entity. During the festival last year, care team was present during all of the major events and offered active listening and open dialogue for things people were experiencing. There were some situations that got liaised to the core team. And I thought that was a very revolutionary thing to see a care team take responsibility from an unbiased place for helping with just that comes up. Stuff will always come up and there are triggers that sometimes we aren't mindful of. Care team was there to help bridge that understanding and create remedy. So I know the full details haven't been announced yet, but tell me what you can about what this year's festival is going to look like. This year's festival is going to be a rally and a festival. It is going to be a call for people to come, continue to use their voices to have rage, have joy, have every spectrum of emotion under their queer identity and be valid. And we want to push that using examples from protests that have been going on, from spaces of love that have been created out of quarantine and pre-quarantine. As a principle, everyone to be heard everyone to be felt. We all need to make sure that there is no excuse for not making space for everyone. And we want this festival to really demonstrate that through, again, like what we've been doing the last two years, making sure all the queer organizations have their chance to say something for us to use our finances to really flesh out what it means to be radical. And this festival is going to be a lot of purposeful yelling. (laughs) Maybe we could say that. And thinking a little further ahead, if things continue to go well for the festival and it continues to grow and successfully engage the community, how might it develop over the coming two, three, four years? We're still visioning and workshopping this ourselves because we don't know what the future holds, but we do want the system, the infrastructure of Brick and Litter to have stability and a solid structure so that the purpose of Brick and Litter can stay the same even if the people involved are changing because we've created that ecosystem inside of it. And I do hope that it eventually does have a solid platform where we can, you know, with money, with community support, still be able to do the same thing we've been doing. We want to be consistent. Our consistency is important right now because we started off by saying we're always going to make sure queer people feel heard and marginalized people feel heard. So that carries with us every single year. That needs to be the same in three or four years, regardless of the scale of what we're doing. We do wish for a grander scale if it comes to us and, you know, it's meaningful and it's not corrupt. Corruption is very, I think, easy to fall into. Large platforms are welcome without corruption and without too much oppressive intervention. I feel like the bigger you get, sometimes you have to get looped into oppressive systems. We refuse that. So wherever that line is drawn, that's where we'll be at. And regardless, we'll always be pushing radicalism. I do think we all need to come together. That's some hippy-dippy shit, maybe, but I think that statement has come alive in the protests that have been happening, and I'm hopeful that in the future, Bricks and Glitter will have a big part of that conversation. You have been listening to my interview with Max about the Toronto-based queer community arts festival, Bricks and Glitter. To learn more about it, go to bricks-glitter.com or search for it on Facebook. To find out more about Talking Radical Radio, the guests, the theme music, and the ways that you can listen, go to talkingradical.ca and click on the link for the radio show.
On the site, you can sign up for email updates or follow us on Facebook, Twitter, iTunes, SoundCloud, and other platforms. I'm Scott Nye, a writer and media producer based in Hamilton, Ontario, and the author of two books of Canadian history told through the stories of activists, published by Fernwood Publishing. Thank you very much for listening, and I hope you tune in again next week.